Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you who are watching online. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're in a series entitled Timeless, how the eternal church is greater than shifting culture. When truth is relative, culture will always shift, but we have something greater, something better. An eternal truth by an eternal God proclaiming an eternal gospel through his eternal church. And so what our aim has been during this series is to look at the seven letters that were written to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. The letters and the churches were literal, actual churches. There were seven of them, but this number seven is also symbolic. And so we see this also as like a a completion or a perfection. This is the entirety of the last things that Jesus wanted to say to his church. And uh, chronologically, these are the last words that Jesus writes to his, his church or his church is, right? And we've been studying them. And week one, it was just this question. Have you forgotten your first love? Like, do you just love Jesus? Not are you just caught up in church or you caught up in works, but like, do you love Jesus? And then week two, we talked about sanctification through suffering and how uh, suffering can, can lead us into Christ. And week three, it was the question, are you willing to die for him? And then week four, it was the question, are you willing to live for him? Sometimes it's easier to to live for Christ, or to die for Christ than it is to to live for Christ. Today, we're going to look at this letter written to the church at Sardis. And uh, the city of Sardis sat like on a hill, literally, like it was up on a hill. And the people of Sardis thought that they were invincible, that they could never be conquered. Um, But tragically, they were conquered twice in their history as a city, one time um, kind of infamously by the stupidity of one of their own guards. And so this city that thought it could never be conquered, that it could never die, that it could never end, did. And both the physical city of Sardis and the church of Sardis remind us of an important lesson, that even the strongest, liveliest, healthiest of churches can die. They can die. And this letter was an encouragement written to the church on how not to die how to not just disappear into the abyss of time. Jesus starts this particular intro by uh, making reference to the Holy Spirit as a way of setting up that the way a church doesn't die is by being awake to what the Holy Spirit is doing right now, in this time, in this period. And so this morning... I plan on offending many of you and not like to just intentionally offend, um, but I think it might happen. And I just want to warn you in advance that it might happen, not because I'm sorry, but just to give you advance warning, okay? And so uh, the way that's going to happen is we're going to look this morning at five church traps, five church traps. And I believe these church traps are also personal traps. And so you might identify with one of these church traps. You might also identify with one of these individual traps. Right at the beginning of this letter, Jesus says these words. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, 
but you are dead. You have the reputation for being alive. Everybody thinks, oh, Sardis, that's a great church, but you're actually dead. How does this happen? How does it happen that a church can have a reputation for being alive, but actually be dead? What does it look like in our modern understanding or in modern church? What does it look like to have a reputation for being alive, but actually being dead? I think there's two different ideas. One is the the first heading that we're going to look at is this idea that you're doing the right things. So of course you must be alive. That's the the first one. The second uh, title or heading that we'll look under is, is this idea that you used to do or you used to be alive and you're still just living off of that reputation. Now, in the first one, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're actually dead. Here are some things that give reputation to being alive. Let me preface this by saying this morning that this sermon is spoken to us as a church. It's not an indictment on anyone else, okay? It's not pointing out what is wrong everywhere else. It is a warning to us to watch and to be careful. I don't think our church is in danger of dying. We've had more growth in the last six weeks than probably the rest of our four years combined. So this is a warning to us to watch and to be careful and to see what God wants to do. Five traps that sometimes churches fall into that will give a reputation of being alive. Trap number one, I'm going to call the doctrine or the truth trap. The doctrine or the truth trap. And here's how this trap works. People go in that church, they say, we're alive. And the reason we're alive is because we preach truth. And before a sermon, somebody will come up to the pastor and say, go get them. Like it's a battle and a fight and we're going to attack them with truth. And the trap, the trap, by the way, you're going to see with all five of these traps, they all start off good. They all start off good. And then they lead eventually unchecked to a bad place. So I'm going to show you the counter of it in each one of these. So the first, the first one is the truth trap, and it's, it's saying, well, we're, we're a live church, we're a living church because we speak truth. And Paul says, you can speak like an angel, but if you have not love, you are nothing. You are a clanging symbol. And the truth trap is easy to fall into because it feels good. It feels good for those on the inside. For those who hear the truth and they already know the truth and they love the truth and they, and they want the truth and all of that. But if you have not love, you're a clanging symbol. Should truth be spoken in church? Absolutely. Absolutely, it should be spoken. We've spent a lot of time over the last two weeks talking about how we should never tolerate bad teaching and we should never compromise on behavior. And that is just as true right now as it was over the last two weeks that I taught it. 
But if we have not love, and what the truth trap church can end up looking like is a group of people getting together and using the words judgmental, angry, self-righteous, aren't far off. Ah, but we speak for truth. Ah, but nobody likes you. And you don't like anybody else. This is not a battle, friends, against those who think differently. It's a battle against an enemy who has corrupted the minds of those who think differently so that they might be won by the gospel. Let's remember who the enemy is, okay? So we root ourselves in the love of Jesus, and we ask Jesus how to do this because he was very truthful, and he is the picture of love. That's the first trap. All right, I've offended some of you. Let's move on. Trap number two. Call it the charismatic trap. The charismatic trap. Here's how this trap works. In this trap, we are in a live church because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we speak in tongues and we prophesy and and there are these highly emotional moments in Sunday morning service. And so we must be alive. And often... Often, I say often, but there's a history that churches like this, caught in the charismatic trap, their favorite word is revival. And you know why their favorite word is revival? Because they haven't seen someone come to Christ in years. And oftentimes, churches caught in the charismatic trap, they look at churches that God is actually moving in and go, that's not a real church. No one's spirit-filled forgetting that the whole point of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 was to proclaim the gospel so that people would be converted. Again, do we want to be Spirit-filled? Absolutely. Do we want the Holy Spirit in our service? Absolutely. But Paul corrects this church, the charismatic trap church. And Paul says, I can speak in tongues better than any of you. Like, literally, he's like, I'm better at all than all of you at this. And I don't do it. I don't do it. Not in a public gathering. He goes, you know why? (laughs) Because I care more about the unbeliever who, if we're just using modern language, would walk in and think, this is weird. I don't know what's happening. I care more about that person than I care about the exercise of this gift. He says, I will intentionally surrender my rights, my rights so that people might come to salvation. That's trap number two. Get some of you? Number three. I'll call this the communal or the family trap. Here's what happens in the communal or the family trap. You have a church that's a, that's a certain size, typically. Typically, this ranges in like the 150 to 200, if we just look at this practically. And what they, the church says, we're alive. And here's why we're alive, because we have the best community ever. And we like each other. And we all know each other. And we might never grow, but we love each other. So we're alive. And this church 
this church can become very self-centered and very selfish. And without maybe meaning to, or sometimes actually meaning to, anybody who doesn't fit the perfect demographic could never fit in that church. Or when somebody comes in who looks a little different, or doesn't even look different, but might unsettle the communal aspect, they get shunned or slowly pushed out or never brought in. And this church has lost any sense of mission, any sense of reaching out and enlarging the circle. It's the communal trap, and you'll hear phrases like, yeah, we really, really know each other, and we really, really love each other. And by the way, if I'm just being honest, if there's one of these five right now that our current church, this church right here, could fall into, it's this one. It's this one right here. In fact, some people might already be feeling like this because you hear phrases like, well, it just seems like things have changed. They have. (laughs) We have a building. We used to meet in a movie theater. There are twice as many human beings. That's different. Things have changed. It's going to be slightly different. Here's what will not change. The things that are biblical. Preaching the gospel. Standing for truth. Loving each other. Jesus-focused everything. It's a trap. It's a trap. To that trap, you say, what's the biblical refute? The entire Bible, (laughs) basically. The, the, The mission of Christ to go out into the world, to enlarge the circle. Which brings us to trap number four. I'll call trap number four the growth trap. The growth trap. Here's what happens in the growth trap. In the growth trap, there's this idea of let's just, let's do whatever we have to do, set up our church however we need to set it up to just get as many people to come in at the same time or as possible. And let's just get as many people as possible. And there will be a reputation of being alive, right? Remember, this is what this is all going back to. There will be a reputation of being alive because look how many people there are. Of course we're alive. There's so many people. But the parable of the sower would tell us you can cast as many seed, but if there's not good soil, three-fourths are going to disappear. So you might think you're alive, but you're dead if there's no discipleship and growth. So great, you reach 20,000, if 15,000 end up on the wrong side, were you really alive? Trap number five. Trap number five is the tradition trap. The tradition trap. Here's what happens in the tradition trap. People get into a church and they look and they say things like this. This is how we've always done it. This is how we've always done it. People walk in and they tend to like this building. Can I tell you why people like this building? Because there wasn't a committee. That's why. The reason people like this building is because we looked at somebody, she happens to be my wife, who's good with design and, uh, and has a look for it. And I said, you do it. That's why the building is nice. Many of you were in churches and the building looks horrible. You know why? Because nine people fought over what color to paint the bathroom. 
it's the tradition trap. Well, we've always done it like this. Well, when I grew up at church, we did this. And we have this idea that church has to be like this. There are a couple of things that church has to be. Flannel boards is not one of them. Free coffee isn't one of them. No one said amen. Thank you. Tradition. Jesus looked at the scribes and the Pharisees in chapter 8. He said, oh, great. You have, I'm paraphrasing, you have your tradition. And you're dishonoring everybody around you through it. And then he said, tell the disciples to go eat bread on the Sabbath just to mess with them. These are five traps that are easy to fall into. These are five traps that you can have a reputation for being so alive, but you're dead. To recap, you can have all the truth, but if you have not love, you might look alive, but you're dead. You can have the, the, the spirit filling all of your service, but if every person who walks in who doesn't know Christ goes, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen, I'm checking out, you might think you're alive, but you're dead. You can have the greatest community, but if no one else can break into it. You can have 10,000 show up, but if no one grows in Christ. You can do things like you've always done, thinking that that's real church, and it isn't. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You're dead. The other way I think this verse, this reputation being alive but you are dead could apply is you're just, you're, you're, you're just living off of former things. Wow, remember that one time when that girl got saved and it was such a powerful story? Like that one time was 12 years ago. This poses the question, should a church ever die? Should a church ever die? Maybe the question to that is, yes, some churches might need to die, but should a church die? Not if it's the church that Jesus came to plant, but why do churches die? Let me tell you, churches die because of either the complacency of the leaders or the immaturity of the believers. Those are the two reasons. The complacency of the leader or leaders, or the immaturity of the believers. When the believer says, I just like the way things were. When the believer says, no, let's keep the community small. Well, when did you want us to stop growing? When you got here? If your selfishness alarm isn't going off, it should be. Oh, and yeah, the complacency of the leaders. So that one's on me. 
It's on our elder team to never look and say, well, we've got it. The budget's good. The building's nice. Let's just coast through this. I've already told you guys, I think I got like 20 years left, right? And then at that point, it's going to be like, someone can do this better than me. Best leader I ever knew proved he was the best leader I ever knew because he got out at the right time. Why? So that the church can continue to live because it's bigger than any one person, bigger than any one team. So what do we do, friends? What do we build into the culture of our church to make sure to make sure that we never have a reputation for being alive, but actually being dead? What do we do to make sure that we're actually alive? I love it when the scripture just preaches the sermon for me. First, verse two, wake up. That's the first thing you do. Wake up, wake up. What does wake up mean? Wake up means this. It means be alert to what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. We're not trying to recreate the charismatic movement of the 70s. We're not trying to recreate the seeker movement of the 90s or the early 2000s. We're not trying to recreate the reformed movement of the mid-2000s into the 10s. We're not trying to recreate anything. We're trying to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you doing right now? Right now. And it might have elements of all of those things. Because all of those things, some of you came out of the charismatic movement of the 70s. That's where you met Christ. I was discipled in the seeker movement. Others of you have come out of the other three that we mentioned. But we're not trying to recreate any of them. We want to be the church that Jesus came to plant right now, right here, in this season. So we wake up. The only way to wake up in this sense is to humble ourselves over and over and over and say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What are you doing? Where do you want us to go? God, you're in charge. Like I've said, if Jesus isn't leading it, it might look like a church, but it ain't a church. Jesus is in charge of the church. He makes that clear. So Jesus, you're leading it. Your Holy Spirit empowers it. Where do you want us to go? Wake up. Wake up. Second thing we do, we strengthen. Strengthen that which remains and is about to die. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Again, I don't think we're about to die. Strengthen what remains, though. First thing you do is you wake up. The second thing we got to do is we got to get strong. We got to get strong. I'm going to mix my metaphors a little bit here, but we got to get roots that are deeper. And that's what the scripture teaches us, that spiritual strength comes from having your roots deeper in Christ, both as individuals and collectively as a church family. We've got to go deeper in our roots in Christ. We just got to, the biblical term or the church term that we often use is discipleship. Like we've got to just get stronger in Jesus. Like there are practical things we probably need to do, but, but mostly what we need is just to get stronger and stronger in Christ because the deeper we are in Christ, the better we are to, um, to, to revert or to step away from any of those traps. 
The deeper I am into Jesus, the more I care about other people's discipleship. The deeper I am to Jesus, the more I could care less how we did it 10 years ago. If it's not effective right now, I don't care. I want somebody to come to Christ today. And the deeper I am into Jesus, the easier that becomes. And so we got to get strong. Jesus looks at this group and he says, you guys weren't strong enough to finish the work, so how strong do we need to be? We need to be strong enough to finish what he's called us to do. And by the way, that never ends until he comes back. So we got to be strong enough to just keep on going. We have to strengthen ourselves. How do we strengthen ourselves? What does that look like? One, we got to strengthen ourselves in the word of God. We got to strengthen ourselves in the word of God. That's why I hold it every week. That's why we teach out of it every week. You should bring your own every week. Like we've got to be strong in this. We've got to know it. We've got to study it. We've got to memorize it. We've got to meditate on it. We've got to have groups of people sitting around talking about it. We've got to delight in it. We've got to be strong in the word of God. You do and we do. Secondly, we got to be strong in prayer. We've got we've to like get strong in prayer. That's why we practice corporate prayer this morning, your personal life. You got to get strong in prayer. Some of you have probably gotten better at praying over the last week than, than you were before because things pop up, and we've got to get strongly like rooted in good prayer. Individual prayer, group prayer. We've got to get to a place where when things happen, our first instinct is, I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to pray for that. And not just say it, but do it. I've said this before. I try to never tell somebody in a physical moment, I'm going to pray for you. Just pray for them. <laughs> just do it. Because life's going to hit our church. There's going to be times of despair. And diagnosis and pain. And in those moments, we've got to be a church that can pray with each other. We've got to get strong in forging relationships. You know, there's an actual chemical reaction to loneliness. There's an actual physical chemical reaction in your body to loneliness. It's as destructive as anything we face. So we've got to get good at forging relationships, community, commitment with each other. I know a lot of you are new or new-ish. We haven't been able to like relaunch life groups since the building and everything else, but I want you to know they're coming in January. And that every event that we're doing right now is to just help us like bridge the gap until those get going again. But I also want you to know, you can lead in this. There's nice people here. Just become friends. Go out to lunch or breakfast or whatever. Talk about the Bible. Talk about Jesus in the Bible. We got to get stronger in that. Fourth thing we got to do is we got to get stronger in surrendering our rights. The more mature Paul got, the less he demanded. And Jesus showed us the ultimate sign of maturity. Going to the cross 
and completely surrendering every right he had. Number one, we got to wake up. Number two, we got to get strong. We got to get like ready for the work that is ahead. Another third thing we got to do, it says, is we have to remember what we have received and heard. We have to remember what we have received and heard. This is Jesus' strategy for how a church stays strong. That's how you know it's foolproof, by the way, because he's the one who came up with it. Be very grateful that today I don't have seven points on Stephen's strategy for churches to stay strong. We'd be done by the end of the year. We got to remember what we have received and heard. What have we received? The gospel. The gospel. We've received the gospel. And so he's saying, you have to remember the gospel. You just have to go back to the gospel over and over because the gospel is not just what saves you. It is also what sanctifies you. Said another way, the gospel is not just what gets you in. It's also what grows you up. And so we just got to keep going back to the gospel. We got to keep going back to the gospel. And when I say that, what I mean is this. We have to keep going back to this idea that I was dead in Christ and I had a a broken identity. And then Jesus, who was perfect, went to the cross and took all of that upon himself and then gave me a new identity. We just keep going back to that because when you go back to that, then you can say things like, well, then why would I hold on to my rights? You can do things like not get caught in the trap because you see what the gospel's done for you and you want the gospel to do that for others. How do we remember the gospel? We keep going back to it every single Sunday. How do we remember the gospel? Every story points to it. Every sermon reminds us of it. Every Bible study is centered around it. And we just remember the gospel. We remember what we received. We also have to remember what we heard. What did we hear? The mission of Christ. The way we say that around here is to help all people experience redemption and live in freedom. And the only way anyone experiences redemption and lives in freedom is through the proclamation and gospel transformation. And so, by the way, we pick those words because freedom is something that will never end. Like we don't look at our mission statement as like a get somebody to the end and then help them or take them back to the beginning so that they can help other people through it. We do want to see that, but at the same time, we're always progressing through living in freedom. In other words, your personal discipleship never ends on earth. There is always greater spiritual freedom for you to experience. There's always redemption, the gospel breaking back in and pulling away things at your heart. We sometimes say it around here like this. We want to reach the lost. We want to grow the reached. And we still want to motivate and move the mature. This reminds us what church is about on Sunday morning. Do we want to not fall into the charismatic trap and make sure that unbelievers can engage in our service? Yes. But is our service primarily for unbelievers? No. No, the the church is for believers. It's a community of people committed to Jesus. But we welcome people into it. 
we show them this radical nature of this gospel that has changed everything. So we remember the gospel. That's the, the last part of it. No, it's really funny because at the, at the ending, Jesus gives this really interesting warning. He says, if you don't shape up, I'm going to show up. Listen, if Jesus showing up at your church is a bad thing, that's a bad thing. We should not be scared of Jesus showing up to church. That's his warning. Watch out or I'm coming. He says, I'll show up in the middle of the night. People think that was a reference to the fact that the Sardisians had been conquered in the middle of the night. And so he was saying, just like that happened physically, this will happen spiritually. But on the other side, to those who don't give in, he said, and there were some of you, there were some of you who haven't been soiled. What a horrible word. Who have not been soiled yet. Those of you who haven't been, who haven't given into this, who aren't on the path to death, those of you who, who, who are still alive, there, there's something I want to do through you. And friends, here's what I am very grateful about. I look at our church right now, and maybe some of you needed to be convicted by one of those five traps. Great. Let the Holy Spirit deal with it right now. Do you do your repentance? And then let's move on together. Because our church is not in a season where we are approaching death. God is doing things in it. But we don't want to be a church that appears to be alive. We want to be one that actually is alive. Because churches that are actually alive see people growing in Christ, being one to Christ, and see people of all spectrums continue to mature into Christ and to express the spiritual gifts that they have been given for the edification of the body and for the glorification of Jesus. And so, yes, my friend, Let's, 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 let's be a church that speaks for truth and stands for truth and we cannot compromise and we will not tolerate, but let us learn to do it in love. Let's be a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, but will in a moment surrender rights for somebody who would walk in. A couple years ago, a friend of mine asked me to do some research for him for a business that he wanted to start. And I, he was out of town. I said, yeah, sure. I said, what do you need me to do? He said, I need you to drive to every used tire shop in Toledo. Okay, I don't know if you know where every used tire shop in Toledo is. It was an interesting drive. There's about 30 of them. So I drove to all 30 of them and I really like this friend. He didn't even pay me. He didn't even give me gas money. And I went to all 30 of them and I asked them the question, hey, we're starting a business. Well, that's not a question, but hey, we're starting a business. And um, we're going to bring in used tire inventory into Toledo. And I wanted to check your inventory levels and see if you might need our product. And I went and I did this, you know, 29 times. And then on time 30, I don't know if these are actual numbers, but it seemed like it. And time 30, I walked into this place in a part of town that I don't frequent often, and this is big warehouse. And I walked in and I looked at this guy and I gave him my spiel. And he looked at me and he said this. So you don't have the tires? He said, no, we're going to bring the tires. He said, you ain't even real. I was like, no, sir, like we're going to bring them. We have access to them. And he said, he looked at me again, you ain't even real. 
He said, come back to me when you're real. And I said, no, no, sir, you don't understand. He said, no, I understand. You don't understand. You ain't even real. And then I was like, I guess that's the end of the conversation. And I went home, and that was 11 years ago, and it still runs through my head. You ain't even real. Because you can speak with tongues unlike anyone else, but if you don't give a lick about the unbeliever in your service, you ain't even real. And you can speak truth unlike anything else, but if you can't lace it in love, you ain't even real. And you can do things like they've always done. But if you won't surrender something from your past for the sake of what God is doing right now, you ain't even real. And we can grow to 20,000, but if 15,000 end up on the wrong side, then we ain't even real. Jesus died actually died on the cross so that his church never would. Jesus was forgotten on the cross so that we never would be and so that we would never forget the gospel and so that we could always remember it. He has given us everything we need to be awake, and to be a church that is alive. And the future of Jesus' church will be dependent then on the same things that could kill it. Leaders not being complacent and believers continuing to mature, which means it's going to take all of us, friends. It's going to take all of us. compromise, if tolerance were the words for the first two church, the words for this one is complacency, which means the wisdom we need is Jesus teaches the speed and the style and the way to always move forward so your church can be what you called it to be. Let's pray. Father, I'm excited today because I look out at a crowd that I think is hungry to be the church that you came to plant. I'm inspired by the energy that I've seen from people excited about what you're doing and what you want to do. And so we take a pause this moment, this week, we learn, Jesus, your formula for keeping your church alive and healthy. So strengthen us in Jesus's name. Strengthen us as our roots go deeper into Christ. Jesus, you emptied yourself on the cross so that we could be strong. Help us to always keep the gospel at the forefront of everything we do as a church. Help us to be awake to how your Holy Spirit is moving. And thank you 
the churches that are alive get to experience the positives of all five of those traps. Freedom from truth, the filling of the Holy Spirit, traditions that are good, that have been passed down, but still have their meaning, growth as new people come to Christ, and also community, family. You've given us a picture. Help us walk into it, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.